Hello everyone, welcome to daily prelims notes. So today's topics are very interesting which we are going to discuss today and the first topic of the day will be genetic surveillance. Now this is a topic which is very important in the context of science and technology. It is in news because Chinese government is building the world's largest police run DNA database. Now how they are developing this DNA database, what are the tools and technology and how technology is helping uh, the political aims of the government, we will look into this article. So it is in news because uh, since 2013, the Chinese authorities have collected DNA samples from entire ethnic minority communities. Yes. So, uh, entire ethnic minority communities data has been collected along with ordinary citizens who are who have not done any criminal act which is outside any criminal investigations without proper informed consent. So, they have not taken the permission of the Chinese residents but they have simply taken the DNA database of the entire community. Now, the program of mass DNA data collection violates Chinese domestic law. So they have a domestic law which protects the data of people but they are doing it against the domestic law and the global human rights norms. And when the combined with other surveillance tools it will increase the power of Chinese state. So we know that uh, police whenever they have a DNA sample of the whole citizen of the country then they have more power and it enables them. It enables them, it facilitates them in the domestic repression in the name of stability, maintenance and social control. So they can easily bring in anybody uh, with the help of uh, the technology on the criminal scene. The forensic use of DNA has the potential to solve crimes and save lives, yet it is being misused and, uh, re and reinforced discriminatory raw enforcement. So we know that the DNA technology was invented initially with an intention that it will help police to solve crime and save lives of the people. But now what is happening is totally opposite that it is helping the police but in reinforcing the discriminatory laws and authoritarian political control. The DNA analysis is now considered the gold standard for police forensics. And recent innovations in DNA sequencing and big data computing make the process of analyzing biometric samples more efficient and cost effective. So it is very easy and uh, time less like it consumes less time to do the biometric samples and big data computing is helping the police in analyzing the biometric samples. Yet the forensic DNA collection has also been linked to the abuse of police power and even can lead to the loss of genetic privacy. So now what is happening police is abusing with, with the help of the DNA collection and it can, it can lead to the loss of genetic privacy. Now there is no privacy of the citizen all their information who were their ancestors what they were doing everything is under the police control. In order to defend against possible abuses, compulsory police collection and storage of biometric data must be strictly limited to those convicted of serious crime, criminal wrongdoing. So what is happening here? In order to defend against the possible abuses, compulsory police action and storage of biometric data must be strictly limited.
so police should not use this data and it should be limited similar technology we have is dragnet <coughs> sorry so what is dragnet it is also a similar mass surveillance program program which is run by us's national security agency so both china and uh, usa are uh, developing the programs which is in order with an intention of controlling or maintaining stability but they are also leading to misuse of power of the police over citizen now next topic of the day is coal mining so why we are uh, talking about coal mining now because uh, as we all know that the fdi is allowed 100% let's see what are the total resources production and import happening in the country re related to coal mining it is in news today because the government has announced the auction of 41 coal blocks that have a capacity to produce 225 million tons of coal per year after removing the end use restrictions so in order to produce 225 million ton per year it will remove the end use restrictions and relaxed prior mining experience as a bidding criteria so earlier the people who used to do the bidding for the contracts they were to given the proof that they had a prior mining experience but now that condition has been relaxed and uh, as we all know india imports nearly 250 million tons of coal from other countries despite having the fourth largest coal reserves how much coal reserves we have 250 uh, basically fourth largest coal reserve we have and we were importing 250 million tons of coal from other countries if we see the india's coal uh, production total uh, 612 million ton of uh, coal production has happened and coal india has done 494 of it in the financial year 2015 <clears throat> in the 2019 we have uh, total coal production in india of 729 of which 607 607 was done by coal india here the thing which you need to remember is that india is a fourth largest having the fourth largest coal reserves and uh, but still we are importing 200 something from the other countries now if you see the map in this you will see that uh, the coal belt of india which is uh, in the eastern parts of the madhya pradesh chatisgarh jharkhand odisha west bengal and then here it is going from meghalaya to assam now we see the commercial mining the commercial mining in coal is allowed by the private sector to mine com coal commercially without placing any end use restriction so there is no restrictions also you will know that uh, fdi is allowed 100% in the coal sector and uh, because of this the global companies can also participate in the auctions now the complete freedom in order to decide on the sale pricing and captive utilization is expected to attract many private sector firms to participate in the auction process the government expects these steps will generate employment and reduce india's import bill so we all know that there, when there will be coal mining more uh, sales and uh, utilization of that coal will happen in the domestic economy and because of this there are potential to generate employment now the private sector participation was uh, permitted until early 1970s so it is not that like the first time they have provided 100% fdi it was present earlier till uh, 1970s 
But then what happened? Government has announced the nationalization of the coal blocks in the two phases between 1971 and 73. So first it was already under private, then nationalization happened and now it is back going to the private. The government is hoping that the involvement of the private sector will increase production and make the India self-sufficient. So in order to increase the self-sufficiency, we are moving to privatization of the coal sector. Now, next topic of the day is dollar as a reserve currency. So ever since China started the pilot project on a central bank digital currency, there has been speculations of possibility of China's digital currency replacing US dollar as the reserve currency of the world. So the digitalization of the Chinese currency will have the impact on US dollar, which we know is the most reserve currency as of now. A reserve currency is uh, held in significant quantities. A reserve currency is uh, held in significant quantities by government and institutions as a means of international payment and to support the value of national currencies. A large percentage of commodities such as gold and oil are priced in the reserve currency causing other countries to hold this currency to pay for these goods. So what do you understand by this? A large percentage of commodities like gold and oil are priced in the reserve currency. Because we many countries are importing and exporting these uh, commodities and whenever they do the payments, they do in dollars and not in their domestic currency. So basically now China, what it is doing is, it is just reducing its dependence on the US dollar and it will try to use its own currency. Now, next topic of the day is Sansad Adarsh Gram Yojana Model Village Scheme. So this scheme we already know it also existed previously whenever an M MP was told that he need to adopt a village and need to develop that village into a model village with uh, all possible amenities in that village itself. So now what is happening? A study is commissioned by the Ministry of Rural Development that has observed that the Sansad Adarsh Gram Yojana has not made any significant impact. It has not made any impact and that in the current format is not achieving the desired purpose. So it is not achieving the desired purpose. When it was launched on 11th October 2014 on the birth anniversary of Loknayak Jayaprakash Narayan. The scheme is unique and transformative as it is a holistic approach towards the development. So why the scheme was important? Because it had a holistic approach. By holistic approach, what do we understand? That it, it envisaged the integrated development. Integrated development how? By selecting the villages and uh, the work was taken under multiple areas which is agriculture, health, education, sanitation, environment and livelihood. So if you see the scheme and uh, different different aspects of it, the scheme was based on Mahatma Gandhi's Suraj or good governance idea and a village development plan will be prepared for each identified Gram Panchayat based on its need. And the funds will be from center, which is uh, MP-led funds were given to the village. But now as we see that the government has uh, stopped MP-led for at least 2-3 months. So obviously the funding of the model village program is also stalled for now. And uh, two national level committees to monitor schemes implementation were also set up.
and in the second phase mpes will develop five more adarsh gram in five years according to 2000 from 2019 but now that is not happening because uh, the committee has recommended that the scheme is not working because mpes are not taking that work very in a uh, professional way so far beyond mere infrastructure development the sansad adarsh gram yojana aims at instilling certain values values like people's participation antyoday gender equality dignity of women social justice spirit of community service cleanliness eco friendliness maintaining ecological balance peace and harmony all these values were instilled on behalf of basically uh, on behalf of the scheme under the scheme basically to ensure that the government uh, uh, at the local level and the villages and the village men are self empowered that they can take on all the developmental activities now ministry of rural development will be the nodal ministry coordinating and monitoring the scheme so uh, we know that uh, whenever a rural development program happens mostly the rural development ministry is the nodal ministry and it will ensure its effective implementation in order to operationalize the strategies the central sector and centrally sponsored schemes along with the state schemes will have to be implemented in a convergent and integrated manner so we know that uh, both central sector and centrally sponsored schemes are working on a local level and they both need to be come together in order to implement it now next is soil as a living organism <coughs> now why it is in news because professor ratan lal he is the winner of uh, world food prize he spoke about the importance of soil improving soil health not only boosts crop productivity and makes farming profitable but also mitigate the effects of climate change now uh, soil is being called a living entity because soil is living because it has 25% of all biodiversity and there are more species of organisms we all know that so many species of organisms lives within the soil and there are more species under soil than above the ground so th- these organisms include everything from badgers and gophers to bacteria and virus and they are invisible to naked eye there are millions of uh, organisms large and small that live in the soil and perform many important roles like it has important uh, what are the roles that are uh, played by the organisms in the soil or soil in general for people that you need to understand it is important to maintain healthy soils by protecting soil from the disturbance and organic matter loss this ensures plenty of shelter and food for soil organisms this ensures the plenty of shelter and food for soil organisms so that below ground diversity remains high and soil or microorganisms can provide us with ecosystem services so now we will see what are the services that are provided by the soil to the human in general so what are ecosystem services basically these are the direct and indirect contributions of ecosystem to human well being and they support directly or indirectly our survival and quality of life so if you see in this picture many services are being provided by the ecosystem like uh, they provide us with food and uh, fiber fuel as we know that uh, food and everything comes from the soil carbon sequestration via this cultural heritage harappan civilization if you see so many pots were produced out of uh, 
soil and they are being stored and basically they have been excavated now also so we have the idea of what kind of soil and all these things red red uh, red soil and black soil all those things were there then uh, construction materials are excavated out of soil human infrastructure is being produced out of it then it is being used in pharmaceuticals and genetic resources flood regulation habitat of uh, for organisms and nutrient recycling all these are the ecosystem services of soil for human now as per the 2006 millennium ecosystem assessment ecosystem services are benefits which the people obtain from ecosystem and the same 2006 that millennium ecosystem assessment delineated four categories of ecosystem services now what are these services supporting provisioning regulating and cultural what are provisioning services provisioning services are ecosystem services that describe the material or energy output from ecosystem so whatever material or energy output we are taking from the ecosystem that is called the provisioning services they include food water and other resources now regulating services are the services that ecosystem provide by acting as regulators regulating the quality of air and soil or by providing flood and disease control the soils regulate the services local climate and air quality is also being regulated how by carbon sequestration and storage moderation of extreme events wastewater treatment erosion prevention and maintenance of soil fertility fertility along with pollination and biological control so these are all regulating services so many are times in prelims the question is being asked about uh, what are provisioning services provision is providing so we pro the, the soil provide us with material and energy food water and resources and it regulate the water and air quality then it supports it supports what habitat for species so the maintenance of genetic diversity is the supporting services and then cultural services is as we go out and uh, basically enjoy in an open area for walking for playing and everything so these are all cultural services for mental and physical health now the last topic of the day is golden langur golden langurs are facing the threat of electrocution from the power supply lines so for this first you need to know what are golden langurs langurs so we know it's a species of uh, monkeys and they are uh, found in the assam region but now they are facing the threat of electrocution from the power supply lines it is endemic to the sevi evergreen and mixed deciduous forest which is uh, straddling in india and uh, bhutan india and bhutan are the home or and they are endemic to india and bhutan in the semi evergreen and mixed deciduous forest now these golden langurs in assam they are hemmed in by three rivers brahmaputra in the south manas in the east and sankosh in the west so if you see the map of manas biosphere reserve you'll come across these rivers brahmaputra south manas in the east and sankosh in the west their northern limit is in the range of hills in bhutan up to 2400 meters above sea level now the status of the species is endangered and in assam the main population is in the manas biosphere reserve a forested area along with the border of bhutan so uh, that was it for today and uh, thank you for listening have a good day ahead in case you have any doubt 
you'll uh, the, the platform is always open and uh, you can definitely reach out to santosh sir whenever you need thank you for listening have a good day ahead